Cancer Advances, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals, exploring the latest innovative research and clinical advances in the field of oncology. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cancer Advances. I'm your host, Dr. Dale Shepard, a medical oncologist here at Cleveland Clinic overseeing our toxic phase one and sarcoma programs. Today, I'm happy to be joined by Dr. Luke Nystrom, an orthopedic surgeon here at Cleveland Clinic specializing in musculoskeletal oncology as a member of the Cleveland Clinic sarcoma team. He's here today to talk to us about management of soft tissue sarcoma in adults. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. So give us a little idea. What, what are your, is your role here at Cleveland Clinic? What do you do? Well, um, I have a couple different hats that I wear. So as an orthopedic surgeon, I do take care of uh, many different general orthopedic problems, hip and knee replacement, fractures, infections, uh, things of that nature. But my real passion um, is musculoskeletal oncology. And so that involves primarily taking care of uh, sarcoma and metastatic disease in the, in the arms and legs and pelvis is kind of how I describe it. There we go. And so um, I had mentioned something about soft tissue sarcoma. Tell us a little bit about soft tissue sarcoma, bone sarcoma. What, what are these? What is a sarcoma? Yeah. So sarcoma is a generic term for a malignancy that happens, you know, of mesenchymal origin. So it's in the, it's, it's oftentimes in the muscles or, you know, the way I describe it is the connective tissue, the fat, muscle, nerves, bone, uh, that type of uh, tissue, not our solid organs, not our blood. Uh, it's in these other tissues. And so soft tissue sarcoma specifically is a subset of that very generic category that happens in the muscle or the fatty tissue separate from the bone. And so uh, give us an idea how how common are these? So if you think about lung cancer, if you're thought like 250,000 cases a year, what about soft tissue sarcoma? So rare. This, you know, it's 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 so rare. The number I quote is, you know, 12 to 13,000 a year uh, in the United States. And so it's a it's a really small percentage of the overall uh, cancer volume. And we take that number and you consider that you said there's lots and lots of tissues involved. But how many subtypes do you normally describe to people? It's, I, it depends on how, how fine you want to get with that subtype. And I think we're gaining more and more as we get molecular information. But I tell people about 50 to 100, depending on how you want to divide it up. Yeah. So, so you take 12 to 13,000, split it up 50 to 100 different ways. And that's a lot of different diseases to treat. Now, now you're talking. Yep, yeah, that's right. It's, sure. it's extremely, extremely rare. Yeah. All right. So when we think about uh, treatment of soft tissue sarcomas here at Cleveland Clinic, uh, give us an idea of, you know, somebody shows up, kind of what's an experience for a patient when they when they show up in your office? Yeah, if there's a number of different ways that, that folks can show up. One is just with a mass of concern, you know, something that they've noticed uh, or they brought to the attention of one of their physicians and they've, and, and they've been referred to us without a definitive diagnosis. So that's one way. And we start, start from the very beginning. Um, that's certainly a common way that we see people. The other way is that people come in with a known diagnosis and they're, you know, seeing us either for a second opinion or for that first opinion, but, but very well established. So most oftentimes we find these, you know, by people detect a mass, uh, something that's not supposed to be there. They may monitor on their own or with a, you know, a local physician for a period of time, but it, it has some features that 
might be concerning. So those would be, it's growing in size as one of the big ones. Um, it seems to be, you know, bigger than a golf ball. It's deep to the, to the skin or deep to the fascia. It's within the muscle. Those are all things that, that uh, are generally concerning. And then we really make the diagnosis by getting an MRI scan and ultimately a biopsy. Um, and so I'll meet them anywhere along that way or along that path. But um, wherever that happens, it, it doesn't really matter. We kind of take it from there. Now, one thing you didn't mention was pain. Mm-hmm. Are sarcomas typically painful or yeah. tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, typically painless. So um, this is a, a common misconception I think a lot of people have is that because the mass didn't hurt, it's not something that they should be concerned about. And that's, unfortunately, that's not uh, a reliable indicator. Most of these are painless. And so you really have to be concerned about any mass that, that develops. When we think about, um, you know, patients that come through our clinics, the you know, what you never like to see are these sort of oops procedures and things that somebody may have gotten into something they shouldn't have. Yeah. You mentioned some characteristics of things that might be sarcomas, but those could be other things as well and benign tumors and, and things. So give us a little guidance. I mean, there's a lot of different people that listen in. Mm-hmm. Um, who should see a sarcoma specialist? Like if there's a mass like this, there's a concern. Yeah. Um, who should say, well, I can go see a general surgeon. Maybe I should see a sarcoma person. Right. Yeah. This is such a, a common issue. You, you're, you hit the nail on the head there. Um, and I, I don't mean to imply that all masses should come and see a sarcoma specialist. Of course, that's not feasible. Um, however, you know, those things, those red flag things that we mentioned, so masses that are growing, masses that are painless, firm, um, you know, uh, seem to be deep to the fascia, bigger than the size of a golf ball, those should be looked at a little bit further. So, you know, I think a, a, a physician who's seeing a fair number of masses can reliably tell what a subcutaneous lipoma is for the most most part, or so a benign fatty tissue right underneath the skin. But anything that behaves, you know, outside of that uh, very, very obvious uh, presentation, I think, should be looked at further. And the first step is get the MRI or get a CT scan if they can't get an MRI. Um, so we have a little bit better idea of, of what we're dealing with. From that standpoint, I mean, after that, we can determine a little bit better. Are we are we really dealing with a lipoma or something a little bit more concerning? And if 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 we don't know what we're dealing with, that person should get referred to somebody who deals with this kind of thing, you know, regularly. You mentioned biopsy. Mm-hmm. Um, what what kind of guidance could you provide? Certainly, anybody's con- there's a concern. We're happy to see them. Happy to take care of things. But if someone's going to embark on a biopsy, what recommendations would you make? Yeah, needles or excisions or. The vast majority of soft tissue sarcomas can be diagnosed by a needle biopsy. It's a very, very good and reliable way to do it. And the the biggest, um, I mean, this is a whole topic. We could do a whole hour long talk on, on biopsy techniques and principles. But the biggest thing I think is that it should be done by somebody who understands what the resection is going to look like. Because in an ideal world, that biopsy track would be Number one, contaminating or minimal tissue on the way in from the skin to the tumor. And then on the, uh, secondly, it, it in an ideal world would be able to be excised uh, with part of the resection. So you want to put that biopsy uh, track very carefully oriented uh, with relation to where you're, where you're doing your work. And I guess with that as a consideration, um, I guess ideal state again, if there's concern, would you rather do the biopsy or would you rather have someone come in with a diagnosis? 
if there's a concern, I would 100% rather be the one that did the biopsy. Yeah, absolutely. So somebody comes into the clinic, they have a diagnosis, kind of what, what are next steps? How do we, um, how do we approach your Cleveland Clinic sort of multidisciplinary care and get, get other disciplines involved? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, definitely, this is a multidisciplinary uh, diagnosis. Um, at, a, at the bare minimum, you know, we're involving the orthopedic oncologist or the surgical oncologist and radiation oncology uh, in the initial evaluations. And depending on other risk factors, like the size of the tumor, the grade of the tumor, and whether or not there's metastatic disease, the medical oncology team uh, is involved uh, to have uh, discussions around uh, chemotherapy. And so if we have a diagnosis coming in that we already know about, we like to get all of these teams on board right away uh, from the very get-go. If not, oftentimes they'll see one of the surgeon uh, physicians first to sort of get all of the biopsy and staging uh, information squared away and then come back to uh, discuss the multidisciplinary, you know, aspect of it the next time. So being a surgeon, what what are some of the uh, the important points to consider when thinking about soft tissue sarcomas? What are some of the, the factors that you, you weigh in? Yeah, so I think the big thing here is, you know, limb salvage surgery or not. So as an orthopedic oncologist, I'm, again, mostly dealing with this in the limbs. And when can the limb safely be saved? And when is it maybe better that the limb isn't saved? Uh, because at the end of the day, by far the most important thing is that that tumor has to get out. This is a disease that... If there's a chance at a cure, it's primarily surgical in combination with other uh, modalities like radiation. But a wide surgical resection is felt to be probably the most important factor. And in terms of that, it's negative margins. So trying to do everything you can to get a negative margin. If you can do that and save the limb, perfect. That's, that's the ideal situation. But if you can't, it's a, those are tough conversations, but sometimes the limb has to, has to go in order to uh, have a chance of getting rid of the disease. And we think about sort of um, challenges and misconceptions about sarcomas. You think about things in the limbs. I, I think oftentimes people immediately think amputation, mm-hmm. but has that changed over time? Is that, are, there, are there changes sort of in our abilities to treat with, with radiation or chemo or surgical techniques that has changed that landscape? Yeah, I think it. I think it certainly has, and I. And you're right. You know, if you wind the clock back 40 years, this is primarily a disease treated with amputation. Um, a couple things have changed our ability to do that. I think number one, MRI scans. It's not a new technology anymore, but they're getting better all the time, and that is our roadmap to getting these things out safely and knowing whether it's safe to even try to get them out. So the ability to see the tumor in three dimensions that we like we can with an MRI clearly makes that job a lot easier. I think, you know, while I'm not a radiation expert, radiation techniques have uh, certainly improved. And we now know that if we're gonna be getting really close to the tumor in, in one spot or another to save a nerve, save a blood vessel, save bone, the addition of radiation therapy either before or after the surgery makes it safe to do that. And so we can get close in one area and stay wide in other areas and, and still have a chance at saving the limb. So you're right. I think a misconception is that a lot of people think that this is straightaway amputation. It's not. Uh, we save the limb the majority of times, but there are still times when it's it's not able to be done. But if we can, we will. And I think that's, that's the best uh, for everybody if, if it's possible. 
And I guess just to kind of continue along with uh, from sur surgical technique, a lot of these podcasts, we end up talking about minimally invasive surgeries, minimizing the extent of surgery and things like that. How has that in any way take, been taken into sort of practice with sarcomas? I mean, you mentioned wide margins, the importance of, of um, making sure that you get rid of all the disease, things like that. Where are we in orthopedics standpoint from that? Because it seems like maybe a little bit different than a lot of other disciplines. Yeah, you're right. Uh, a lot of other, well, not only cancer disciplines, but especially orthopedic dis disciplines have gone the way of trying to minimize uh, invasiveness. Unfortunately, that's not um, in the limb uh, sarcoma world. That is not a term that we frequently use. Uh, so this is this is pretty maximally invasive surgery. We, of course, we, we do it as minimal as possible, but the again, the the goal at the end of the day is to get that entire tumor out. The only way to do that is to see everything that you need to see. And so these are typically pretty big surgeries. I guess that's that's the reason I asked the question because it seems that if, if someone's trying to uh, push for a minimally invasive procedure, then maybe someone needs to reconsider that because that's not yeah. really in play here. It's not. It's not exactly right. It just it usually just takes a little um, education on the part of the the patient to to understand why it's not because yeah this is this is uh far from the world of minimally invasive techniques right you mentioned before about changes in things like mris and imaging and things like that um how have newer imaging modalities helped out things like mri pet or mm -hmm. um, are there other upcoming imaging things that look like they'll be promising well, it seems like the magnet on MRIs is always getting stronger. So I think that's one thing that has been uh, helpful. I don't know that we can gain a whole lot more there. I think we're seeing the tumor pretty well at this point. Things like PET scans, either PET CT or PET fused with MRI, do show a lot of promise in terms of um, identifying uh, tumor activity and also perhaps in the world of staging. Um, I think that we're learning more and more uh, all the time about how we can best assess the extent of their their disease at presentation and also when we follow them for for surveillance. So I think that there's a lot uh, there. I think right now where we primarily are using those kind of techniques is if we're wondering where is the best spot to biopsy or is there a recurrence of a, of a tumor in an area that's been previously operated or has some other thing that's going to make interpretation of a standard uh, modality difficult? So you're right, we got a lot of tools, um, but we've obtained these tools faster than we have learned how to use them in some ways. And so we're kind of figuring that out right now. Yeah, makes sense. When we talk about the surgery itself, has there been, has there been a lot of change from a technique standpoint? Is there anything that looks promising? Is there anything that uh, can improve either from a reconstruction standpoint or taking the tumor out itself? Anything that can make that surgery a little less morbid, regain function a little faster, anything like that? Yeah, I, there's a lot of a lot of different things that we're looking at here at Cleveland Clinic, but also that uh, other investigators around the country uh, are doing. Uh, and I'd say if we're you know talking about what we're doing here, it's not so much changes to the surgery, but the change that we're delivering the whole kind of episode of care, uh, if you want to use that term. And that primarily involves how we are using radiation. So radiation, we know, has a lot of side effects uh, of its own. Uh, it kills the tumor cells, which we love, but it also creates nasty um, uh, effects on the normal tissue that we're leaving behind. And primarily that involves uh, creating scar tissue and 
fibrosis is an, you know, the term that we use for that scar tissue. And what that ultimately does is it impacts the function of the joint above or below uh, or both. And so we're trying to find ways that we can minimize those side effects of radiation while you know, maintaining the same effect of local control. And so that's different ways that we've done that have, has been to shorten the course of radiation and deliver different doses and fractions, um, but also use different techniques of radiation, like brachytherapy is something that we do a fair bit of here. And that um, really kind of confines the side effects of radiation to uh, one specific spot. So when we put those two things together, I think it ultimately, you know, has been uh, something we've been very happy with in terms of how it impacts the, the outcome in the end, in terms of function of the limb without compromising you know, the cancer outcome. And I guess just to interrupt really quickly, yeah. you mentioned brachytherapy. Yeah. Just briefly, what, what is that for people who might yeah. not be familiar? So brachytherapy involves a very focused delivery of radiation through tubes placed in the, the wound at the time of the surgery. And so rather than the other form of radiation that we use, which is called external beam radiation, where we're, you know, shooting x-rays at, at a target, you know, very, in a very detailed way, but it's, it's, it's not nearly as focused as what you can do when you put the actual tube that the radiation source is going to go in right where you want it. And so that doesn't lend itself to all sarcomas, but it, but many it does. And it's, it's very effective when we can. So we're, we're excited about that. So have a diagnosis, done a surgery, we're talking about sort of surgical technique things, radiation incorporated. How about post-op care? Are there things we're doing here at Cleveland Clinic or, or is, is more of a trend in terms of improving sort of post-op recovery, things like managing wounds or mobilization or pain control, things like that? Yeah, well, you've touched on probably my, one of my biggest passions, which is wound complications after uh, sarcoma uh, surgery, soft tissue sarcoma surgery. It's a huge problem. I think the best uh, study that we've uh, seen in our in our literature shows that the, the prevalence of wound healing complications is 35% in patients who've had pre-op radiation. And if you're looking at just the the legs, that number goes up to 45%. So it's it's a massive problem, and you know, unfortunately, we have to tell people up front that you know this is what we're going to do. We're going to do pre-op radiation. We're going to do surgery. We know that it's going to have X, Y, and Z benefits. On the downside, there's a flip of a coin whether you're going to have a, a some kind of a wound issue or not. And that's and you, and you and you see it, and it happens, and it's terrible, and it's just miserable to watch uh, somebody uh, suffer with that. Um, and so that's an area that I'm interested in. And what, one of the things that we're doing is we have uh, studies uh, ongoing about how can we identify patients who might have a wound healing problem, and what can we do up front to um, sort of mitigate those problems and, and hopefully avoid them. So that's, that's the ultimate goal, and, and we're working hard on that here. So it's certainly a work in progress, but any... Uh... Any early thoughts on some of those factors? The biggest factor uh, is the use of pre-op radiation. So if they, if you have radiation before surgery, which there's a lot of good reasons to do that, and we we still do it more often than not, um, that is going to be your biggest risk factor for having a wound healing complication. But other things, um, you know, diabetes, use of certain medications like steroids, having a um, some kind of immunocompromised uh, state. And obesity uh, uh, can all do it. And I didn't mention the big one, of course, smoking. Uh, so all of these things can uh, can really impact it as well. But that radiation is is certainly kind of the biggest player. 
when you think about how we're going to make patients' lives better with soft tissue sarcomas in the next five or 10 years? What's going to be the big break? I think it's going to be something along the lines of how can we be sure that we've got the margin that we want? And I'm speaking strictly from a surgical standpoint. I think if we're talking about sarcoma as a, as a, as a whole, I think it's going to be uh, finding some way to systemically attack the disease and prevent it from spreading and, and, and killing it and then taking it out. Um, but there's a lot of work being done right now in terms of margins and, and how can we identify during the time of surgery what's, what, how do we get that tumor out uh, safely. And so I think that's going to be the big surgical break. And then I think uh, folks like yourself are going to tell us how we ultimately cure the disease. Very good. Well, you've provided some great insights today. Thank you. I'm happy to do it. Thanks for inviting me. To make a direct online referral to our Tossic Cancer Institute, complete our online cancer patient referral form by visiting clevelandclinic.org slash cancer patient referrals. You will receive confirmation once the appointment is scheduled. This concludes this episode of Cancer Advances. You will find additional podcast episodes on our website, clevelandclinic.org slash cancer advances podcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from Cleveland Clinic's Cancer Center experts on our Consult QD website at consultqd.clevelandclinic.org cancer. Thank you for listening. Please join us again soon.